0: It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with
1: supersized portions of business and financial news. Now, your host, Bert Martinez.
0: All right. Welcome back to Money for Lunch. Man, am I excited. We have uh, Samuel Dinar on the show talking about entrepreneurial negotiations. Uh, But before we get started, let's go to the quote of the day. The best way to predict the future is to create it by Peter Drucker. The best way to create – I'm sorry. The best way to predict the future is to create it by Peter Drucker. Uh, All right. Let's get this party started. Yes. All right. So, Samuel, you there? Yep. All right, there he is. Okay. Samuel is the author of Entrepreneurial Negotiation. He's also an instructor at the Program on Negotiation at Harvard Law School, a teacher at the Harvard Negotiation Institute, and at the Program on Negotiation and a research associate with MIT's Science Impact Collaboration. Collaboratives in addition, Denar is founder and president of Me Dance, which provides negotiation, training, and dispute resolution services. Samuel, Denar, welcome to Money for Lunch.
1: It's great to be here, Bert. Thank you. All
0: righty. You know what? I, uh, I'm, glad to, I'm glad to have you here. I'm glad that uh, we're going to be talking about uh, something that uh, I personally think is uh, important, and, um, you know, I guess before we dive into it, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your work and also about your book, Entrepreneurial Negotiation?
1: All right. Um, so, this book came about uh, based on uh, 25 years of actually being a deal maker on the technology company side. Um, this is the book I wish I had 25 years ago when I started making deals and made a lot of mistakes as part of my learning and um, wished I had a book that would place everything that negotiation theory has uh, been found to include in the context of entrepreneurship. I teamed up with my co-author, Larry Susskind, a professor at MIT. We teach together mediation um, at the Harvard Program on Negotiation, as you mentioned. And um, this is how the book came about. We interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs and included some of those interviews in the book and in the videos that go with the book. Now, for the last 10 years, I've been focusing, as you said, on helping others resolve their disputes and create more value in negotiations um, as part of teaching, consulting, and uh mediating yeah Uh,
0: and and you know what here's the deal is is uh this is just my take on it this idea of negotiation is first of all it's a skill that that we all must learn right And, and and it's really uh part art part science because uh It's amazing what goes into a real negotiation versus haggling over price.
1: Exactly. And so the program on negotiation started about 40 years ago with uh, Roger Fisher, Bill Urey, Bruce Patton, Larry Susskind, and others, um, and the seminal book Getting to Yes, which um, said, let's look at the theory, the interdisciplinary theory here of of what makes negotiation, because we all negotiate. We negotiate all the time. Unfortunately, as you said, too often we fall into the mindset of haggling, of starting high, low, high, low, threatening to walk, and then compromising somewhere in the middle. And what research has shown, and this is research both at the law school, at the business school, at the Kennedy School, at the Fletcher School of Diplomacy at Tufts, at MIT Urban Planning, all these different disciplines, as research has shown, is that there are ways to better have a value-creating negotiation. There are proven processes and proven skills that you can use um, to improve your outcome and improve your relationship because you are absolutely right. There is so much that goes on. And the reason we focused on entrepreneurial negotiation is because after having done a lot of business negotiation, I realized that entrepreneurship is sort of a unique niche of of business negotiation. Uh, an entrepreneur needs to negotiate for everything because they start out with basically nothing. All the resources that an entrepreneur gets are through negotiations. He needs to raise money before there's promise of a company. He needs to. In- Um, get people to join him and work before he can promise them a salary or she promised them a salary. Um, An entrepreneur needs to convince customers to buy a product that doesn't exist yet from a company that may not be around next year because they don't have (laughs) funding for more than a few months. So everything is high stakes negotiation. And what we have found through these interviews and through researching all the, um, research on negotiation is that there are four things that are very heightened in entrepreneurship. One is the complexity. There's usually a lot of complexity both in the technology because we're talking about innovation and cutting edge stuff. And so normally there's complexity. There's also complexity in the financial tools used to fund a company. If you're a scientist and you start your own company because you're an expert on the complexity of the technology, you are overwhelmed with all the financial documents and the structures and the shares and the preferred shares and the vestity and the, and the equity and all of those things that happen in, in financing a startup. The uncertainty is very high. So another right. thing that's elevated is the uncertainty is very high. Again, you don't know if the company will be around. You don't know if the technology will work. You don't know if the customers will actually buy the product, if the market will be there. So the uncertainty is high. The relationships are long-term. When you co-found a company with someone, it is akin to getting married. And when I mediate uh, founder disputes, it has a lot of similarities to marital uh, divorce proceedings because both feel that they own this relationship and and the company is their baby. And it gets to be very um, emotional. And likewise, if you take money from an investor – Um, whose company is it now? Is it your company because you started it and you had the idea? Or is it your company because you managed it and and helped it grow? Or is it your company because you gave the money that made it happen? And so there are are a lot of relationships that are long-term and complicated. And finally, emotions and ego are heightened because of all the things I just mentioned. Because when it's your baby, it's your technology, it's your company, it's your life, that you're spending so many hours working on, um, that is heightened. So a lot of these things exist in business negotiation, but in entrepreneurial negotiation, they are usually all very heightened.
0: Yeah, and and what's interesting, I, I love what you said there, that for entrepreneurs, this entrepreneurial negotiation starts from really the minute this, venture starts to circulate in your head because I I think back at some of the startups I've been involved with and the first thing you start negotiating is, you know, your time allocation, your funding allocation, you know, uh, and, you know, the risk, involved, all those things, you start negotiating them, even if it's just by yourself, right? You're, you're And then, of course, you got to bring, you know, depending on your situation, you might bring your spouse involved uh, in, into, exactly. this, uh, into this thought pattern. And then, uh, assuming that you launch it, uh, you know, the idea of going out to people you don't know and asking them for money, and sometimes a lot of money, is negotiation. And, and really... You know we negotiate everything. I mean, if you have children, I think if you have young children, you probably negotiate more than if you know you have older kids, right because I remember with my younger kids, it was a negotiation it was It was almost like a hostage crisis trying to get them to go to bed <laughs>
1: that's true. Some of the most fierce negotiators are two year old because they <laughs> they are binary, either they're happy or they're extremely upset, and they show it and and they don't leave you. Um, it's sort of a take it or leave it kind of situation. Um, you're absolutely right. We all negotiate. However, there are typical mistakes that entrepreneurs make while negotiating. And there, are, and there is a proven theory of what makes better negotiation techniques. And, and we've been teaching it for a while. So we know that teaching and training actually works. You can learn and improve. And, and you can do this whether your negotiation is from the idea stage, which is the first stage of of a startup, as you said, or the seed stage or the early startup, or if it's a later stage when it's growth, high expansion, or when you're negotiating the exit of the company, selling it, going public, or closing it down, all of these are negotiations. And in the middle, you negotiate um, hiring executives, uh, bringing on partners, agents, um, outsourcing, manufacturing, creating joint ventures and, and, and things of the sort. So we try in the book to to give a primer to what, entrepreneur, what the entrepreneurial galaxy looks like as far as the stages of a startup, the main negotiations that happen throughout the startups and what the main challenges of each of those stages is and what mistakes to watch out for.
0: Yeah, I like that. All right. So you mentioned, you know, that there are some common mistakes that entrepreneurs make. Let's talk about, let's say the top four uh, mistakes that entrepreneurs make when negotiating.
1: Um, well, the the um, one mistake that we found is, is been the central is, is entrepreneurs focus on their own interests and don't spend enough time focusing on the other side's interest. So especially, uh, first-time entrepreneurs that are new at this, they get taught that they should perfect their pitch. They, they need to really have a great pitch. They need to have great slides. They need to have uh, learn by heart what they're going to say and how they're going to say it with the right body language, and they have to really perfect their pitch. And what they don't realize is that each of these meetings is not a one-way communication. Each of these meetings is actually a two-way communication, and it's better to think of it as, as a negotiation, as a give and take, show more curiosity about the other side and about what their interests are. Um, they may have very different interests than what yours are or what you assume their interests are, and some questions will help reveal that. Any agreement that two parties reach needs to cater to the interests of both sides. And what you ideally want is that you'd cater to their interests um, well and cater to your own interests very well. But you won't be able to find those trades and to find that uh, zone of a possible agreement if you don't think hard about what their interests are and have a dialogue that finds out those interests. So that mistake we call entrepreneurs tend to be overly self centered in that they focus their preparations or or they focus on their own emotions, or on their own perception of what is fair, and they fail to see that there are different ways of looking at things um, from the other side.
0: Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about this real quick. Uh, I think that this is an exceptional insight here, because you're right. Most people focus purely on their pitch, or what they're going to say, or what they're going to get out of it and they, they spend no time trying to get into the head of the person they're going to be negotiating with. I mean, to me, a real simple, and this is maybe even an oversimplification of what you're saying, but listen, if you understand your, uh, I don't know, your, your counterpart, for lack of better terms, if you understand that the person next uh, that you're going to be negotiating with really truly uh wants um i don't know let's say they really you know they they really want coconuts that's you know that's their thing they're they're, they're loving coconuts and maybe coconuts aren't that important to you you know that that knowledge it would be wonderful right uh, and, and or the just the fact that you know that they really like you know again just pretending here that that they really like Whatever coconuts or you know whatever widget that they're really excited about, or uh, or uh, then you can kind of position your presentation on how this is going to help them achieve what they want. Is, is, exactly. is that correct? Is that okay? All right, I, I think Absolutely. it's brilliant. I think it's a great idea. This is
1: this is exactly what you want to do. So I would say you have to spend about fifty percent of your time. Thinking about the other side, their interests, their alternatives, their constraints, their um, emotional concerns, um, as much as you think about yours. And if you don't do that, you're going to miss out on these opportunities, because I think you're absolutely right, and to use your example, if I don't care much about coconuts, but I know the other side really cares about coconuts, that's wonderful for me to know, because I don't want to hold that coconut um, over their head until they sign a deal. I want to be able to trade that coconut for something that I really care about. And and so I will find a way of structuring a deal that has these trades. And I won't find out about their interests and their trades if I don't think about it ahead of time, try to get in their head. And I don't ask the questions when I'm at the table. I'll give you an example. I had an entrepreneur who came in and and presented his pitch. And two minutes into his pitch, the two investors said, yeah, 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 we get it. Can we just look at the prototype? And he was very upset because he prepared a (laughs) 10-minute pitch with slides that analyzed the market need that showed exactly why the features they're working on are great. And then he wanted them to look at the prototype after they've realized all the data that he was going to share with them. He got very defensive, and they became. it became a power struggle about the process, right? What are they going to do? Are they going to continue with the presentation or not? But also, he got defensive on his own because they looked at the product, and they said, well, this isn't going to work. And he got very defensive. And at that point, he shut down. He got defensive. Uh, the dynamic was lost, and, and he didn't want money from these investors. He didn't want anything to do with them because they hijacked his meeting, and they poo-pooed his app that he was working on with all his friends and he didn't want anything to do with them now had he turned that defensiveness into curiosity himself and asked them why is it that you want to look at the app before you've seen the slides why is it that you think this won't work he would have found a trove of data and knowledge because it turns out these investors have seen three companies that were trying to do something very similar. And so they already had a lot of this knowledge from all these other companies. So they had already a preconception of what works and what doesn't work. And had he asked that and had he found out what their interests are and what their data, what they bring to the table, he would have been able to really make that meeting much more productive and maybe even close a deal because they may have, exactly the knowledge that would be the difference between his product becoming a hit or failing. And if they invest, they will want to use their knowledge to help him. But if he doesn't ask the questions, he won't know whether they have knowledge that may help him. And he ends up making the mistake of being self-centered and not even discussing an investment with these people.
0: Yeah. You know, that to me, Is a great uh, story. I I, I could just see so many people getting defensive and hurt. Hey, I I spent all night. I spent three days putting the presentation together. You guys are rushing me through it. I'm not ready to go. I just, you know that there's people like that. Uh, And uh, anyway, so I think it's great.
1: All right. So that's number one. Number two is... um, well, we have eight. I think I'll jump to what we call number seven, but um, okay. and because I think that one is key to the book, um, and that is they rely too heavily on their intuition. Now, entrepreneurs are successful; they've been successful. The fact that they started a company is usually already a sign of success, and usually after a while, they've they've been successful growing the company and raising some money, and. But those things that help them in the earlier phases of the company may not be that helpful in later stages or may actually be detrimental in later stages. So the way you raise money from your uncle or from an angel investor is going to really change when you hit a professional venture capitalist or a private equity firm. And you have to realize that you're, you're in a different game and what worked in the earlier stage doesn't work in this stage and the same when you're talking about hiring certain executives and certain managers, etc. Now what happens is because we all negotiate, like you said, from the age of two all the way to our adulthood and we do it all the time and we've been successful usually with things that work for us. We rely on that intuition to guide us. And so we, do not have a proven theory of practice for how to negotiate. And we don't become a learning um, person in how to improve our negotiation skills. So a big part of the book is trying to instill in in the reader that there are some strengths in your intuition, but there are some areas of weakness that you need to watch out for. And you need to develop your own learning loop, what we call the entrepreneurial negotiation loop, which is how to prepare for a negotiation in a way that prevents your biases from showing or your mistakes from your, your, com- your own common habits and mistakes to uh, manifest themselves. And then how to detect when you're at the table, how to detect that you've just made a mistake or you're just about to make a mistake. And how to respond to it in a better way than you would um, based on your intuition. Going back to the example we used earlier, if your natural tendency is to get defensive and to try to explain why what you prepared is the right thing, you may be able to win a lot of those arguments if you're very persuasive. But you may not negotiate a deal in many of these situations, even if you are persuasive, because that's not the most important thing. It's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's about structuring an agreement that adds value to both sides. So yeah. um, we, we include prescriptive advice on how to develop what we call your own theory of practice in, in negotiation. This
0: idea of adding value to both sides, I think, is very uh, very, I would call it, uh, interesting, almost groundbreaking, if you will. Uh, the book, again, is called Entrepreneurial Negotiation. The author, Samuel Dinar, D-I-N-N-A-R. The book is available at Amazon, correct?
1: Yes, that's right. And it's uh, uh, it's published by Paul Grave McMillan um, out, of, out of New York and is available in hard cop, hardcover and uh, electronically.
0: Okay, so let's talk about this real quick. You know, we've talked a little bit about uh, understanding the other side, trying to get uh, to know what, they, what's think, what they're thinking about. What are some other best practices for entrepreneurs to prepare for a negotiation?
1: Well, one, one I mentioned was um, try to increase your own self-awareness for what your own tendencies and styles and, um, are, and then structure, plan a process of negotiation that will maximize cre- creation of value and minimize your chances of making these mistakes. So I call it show process leadership. Actually, what you have to do in any negotiation is start off by negotiating your process of negotiation. Mm. How are we going to talk about these eight issues that we have to discuss? Are we going to go through them one by one? Or are we going to skim all of them at the high level and then decide which order to go through them? Are we going to try and reach agreement on these three and then talk about the other five? Or are we going to agree that nothing is agreed until everything is agreed? So there are ground rules that you can negotiate as you start the negotiation. So in preparation, think, in this situation, what are some of the ways that um, you are going to have a process that creates value? How can you assure that negotiation gets off to the right foot? And, And too often, especially if you're coming in with less power, and the other party is a big company or a very rich um, investor, you may perceive that they have all the power and you may resign to let them control the discussion. But their idea of process, for, of a good process for negotiation may be deficient. They may not know what's a good process. They may have their own bad habits of, of being aggressive uh, bargainers. So you want to try and think of the process and show process leadership by actually negotiating your process of negotiation. Also negotiating some of the norms and the expectations of, of how you're going to do this. Are we going to base this on data? Are we going to take breaks? Who's going to be at the table? Um, How are we going to take breaks? If we have to consult with somebody on our back table, if I have to go call my CEO and you have to go call your board member, um, How are we going to agree on taking breaks to do that and making sure that we are aligned? Simple things that people don't do, and then they're surprised later because they had a certain process in mind, and they get upset that the process was different or the process didn't work in their favor. So every negotiation, there's the substance that you're discussing, but there's also the relationship and there's also the process um, that is very important.
0: So, okay, if I understand you correctly, you're saying one of the key steps here would be to maybe create an agenda? I mean, if, if I'm negotiating with you, if I know I'm going to be negotiating with you, would I, let's say, say, hey, you know, maybe send you an email saying, hey, uh, Samuel, looking forward to uh, our meeting next week. Here's an agenda. Let me know if, you, if there's anything you want to add
1: to it or something like that? Exactly. And, and it would be great if the agenda um, didn't just include the agenda items that you're trying to negotiate, but also included a phase of, um, I want to hear about how your business is doing and what your latest, um, you know, uh, I want to know more about your, your recent production innovation, and I want to share with you some of our um, upcoming features mm. of our product. So if we could start with 20 minutes of doing that, and then we have to negotiate these five items, I think. These are the five items. Let me list them. Um, Are there any more items that you'd like to negotiate? And so you're already in a negotiation by negotiating your process of negotiation, negotiating your norms and expectations. But you're making things easier because when you get in that room, there is – roadmap. There are some ground rules for people to follow. You, they Both sides know what to expect. And this is especially true if you've got big teams on both sides um, so that whoever is leading the negotiation on both teams has a way of briefing people. This is what we expect. This is what we want to do. And this is how this is going to roll out over the next hour or two. And we're going to start off with everybody. We're going to talk about so-and-so. Then we're going to talk about product details so we can have the finance people leave the room and we can have the quality assurance people leave the room. And then later on, we're going to come into service. Um, That kind of structure really is helpful because it, it, it shows that you are preparing well for the meeting and you're taking things seriously. It encourages the other side to do the same and it increases the alignment of how the meeting will flow when people know what's going to happen.
0: I like that so very much. Uh, Samuel, we're out of time. Uh, for you guys that want to find out more about Samuel and uh, the book, Entrepreneurial Negotiation is the name of the book. Uh, additional information is available at bankers-anonymous.com. Bankers-no. Hyphen-no.
1: Nope. 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 Entrepreneurialnegotiation.com. Okay, I
0: don't know where this, uh, this thing came from. So uh, <laughs> Entrepreneurialnegotiation.com, uh, any- yep. Very simple. The name of the book is the name of the .com, entrepreneurialnegotiation.com, entrepreneurialnegotiation.com. Samuel Dinar, thank you so much for stopping by
1: and sharing. Uh, thank you very much. Good stuff there. I
0: just, you know, it goes to show you that negotiation isn't bargaining about the price. That's just one aspect of it today in, you know, roughly 30 minutes that we spent with Samuel, we just basically scratched the surface. If you are an entrepreneur and you know that you're going to be negotiating deals, maybe you're trying to put together venture capital. Maybe you're negotiating a salary. Maybe you're negotiating whatever the deal is. Maybe you're trying to get to negotiate with your two-year-old kid, uh, Check out entrepreneurialnegotiation.com, entrepreneurialnegotiation.com and get a coffee for yourself. As always, my friends, let's share this episode with everyone we know. Let's help as many people as possible learn how to negotiate better. And as always, my friends, remember you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch and check out our website, at moneyforlunch.com.